We bet you never knew this about one of the most popular tire brand models in the U.S. And if FCA and Jeep haven't pissed you off before, they may have just crossed the line. Don't forget to share Jeep Talk Show with your friends. Just tell them to go to JeepTalkShow.com. You're listening to a 4x4, 4x4 Radio Network Podcast. Are you ready? It's the Jeep Talk Show with Wendy. There will be body damage. Jeep Mama. Are you sure? Josh. Yeah, I don't think so. And Tony. I think that's a huge deal. So sit back, strap in, and brace yourself. <laughs> Are you on mandatory quarantine? Well, don't worry. This is a great time to go back and listen to all the Jeep Talk Show past episodes. Shots fired. Suspect down. You know, it doesn't matter if you have a Jeep. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't matter if you have a Jeep, want a Jeep, or driven, never driven anything, driven, never (laughs) anything but Jeeps. This show is for you. Josh, Tammy, Winnie, and myself are here to inform and entertain you while we talk about... strokes (laughs) strokes <laughs> oh, no. we will stroke you know i think gonna take down notice <laughs> hey i'm tammy and i finally got to drive a real jeep oh wait did i just say that was it red i think there's she's no. missing a word in there <laughs> yeah <laughs> hey i'm josh and boy when it rains it pours and howdy it's wendy and i'm so glad it's friday this is Tony, and I'm a Publishers Clearinghouse winner. Woo-hoo. <laughs> Local Jeep news, national Jeep news, and news from around the world. It's This Week in Jeep. Okay, we were just kidding, people. Last week, we reported about the first mass Jeep gathering to take place since this COVID epidemic first began. The annual Go Topless Day event fills the sands of Crystal Beach on the Boulevard Peninsula every year. Galveston County Sheriff's Office had their hands full last year when over 100 arrests were made and 400 calls were made to the local 911. We reported on this too, and in making light of it, quoted the 2013 movie uh, Wolf of Wall Street when we said those are rookie numbers and that we need to get those numbers pumped up. We were of course just kidding, but despite our pleas for Jeepers to represent the Jeep world in a positive light, there were still double the amount of arrests from last year, totaling 200 people taken into custody for offenses ranging from DUI, disorderly conduct, public indecency, driving without a seatbelt, assault, and the list goes on and on and on. And if this isn't enough, two people were shot at this year's event. According to the Associated Press, the uh, shooting happened Saturday when a group of men started fighting, which led to a group of nearby women to start fighting. And that's reportedly when, quote, a husky male discharged a firearm into the mayhem and injured injured two of the men. Those two individuals were sub- subsequently airlifted to the Uni- University of Texas Medical Branch at Galveston with non-life-threatening injuries. But still, this is not the kind of reports we need to be hearing about after the first big clear weekend of lifted restrictions. I will say this, though. In most of the pictures, videos, and news clips that I've seen from all of this, in every one of them, there were more Ford trucks than anything else. I'm just saying... <laughs> There you and go. Maybe it's not our fault. Bro dozers. Nope. <laughs> Definitely not. So, um, I, I'm no expert on this, but I, I do believe that when you're drunk, it uh, uh, hinders your aim. So, that's probably why those there were non-life-threatening injuries. Oh, is, is that why your aim was off? I, when I heard husky individual, I, I mean, immediately thought of Tony. I don't know why. I just, I kind of went there. I figured, okay, you know, why... 
I, you said you weren't going. I'm just curious why you were shooting into the crowd. I, I, I hate it. I hate it going and getting pants whenever I was a kid because we'd always have to go to the husky section. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to wear huskies. I want to wear those those skinny jeans. <laughs> I said never. Um, so yeah, it was. Uh, you know, I, I gotta I gotta correct you, Josh, because really the. The people weren't complaining about what you said uh, last week about the the uh, the go topless thing. They were complaining about the uh, is Wrangler destined for IFS. Oh yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> take that back. <laughs> I know, one, right? <laughs> one person shouted on a Facebook post. <laughs> uh, believe me, it's nothing I wish to ever report on, and and if it does ever come out, I, I may sweep it under the rug for as long as I can, just to spare you people for as long as I possibly can. So you know, um, don't quote me on this, but I think that Jeep at the beach, Texas, they actually did not go to Crystal Beach this year for the Go Topless Day. They uh, they went to Port Aransas, I believe. And uh, it was it was because of uh, the issues. Eh, maybe maybe I'm just assuming this, but I think it was because of the issues that they had last year on Crystal Beach. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I mentioned uh, what was it two three years ago? Whenever I went to uh, went to the Crystal Beach, that mm-hmm. uh, I, I saw too many non Jeeps there. I mean, yeah, everybody. Yeah. Of course, it's an open beach. Everybody's welcome, but it, it is a Jeep event and. Uh, um, I mean, with the uh, the side by sides, uh, the uh, the road dozers, the uh, you know all that stuff. It's just you know, come on, guys, pick your own day. You know, it's when you're sitting on the side, you know, and and you're you're under your shade, and you're in your in your lawn chair, you know, in your beach chair, and you got your cooler next to you, whatnot, and and you know the road dozer drives by, and he's like, no, you start booing, you break out the air horn, you know, no, boo, get out of here. You know that's this is you know Jeep events should be for jeeps only and if you're going to be allowing vehicles uh you know there i'm sure there's only a couple of few access points uh then you know maybe they should be filtered out so i don't know i think just my two cents i think the biggest problem is is that go topless day doesn't have uh the word jeep in it it should be the jeep talk show go topless day and then it would be clearer (laughs) it would be it would be very clear at that point wendy uh, wendy sees what i did there yeah i saw it it was good that was really good (laughs) Well, I suppose we should be cueing some white snake music at this point because I'm titling this next segment, uh, Here We Go Again. You are one of the tens of thousands of people who have been listening to the show for five or six or years or more now. Then you are likely all too aware of my feelings toward FCA's executive decisions over the years on which name badges from Jeep's past are resurrected for whatever whimsy or harebrained idea they come up with. I made no effort to hide my opinions on the regurgitation of the Cherokee name badge they slapped on the ass of the abortion they released back in 2015. <laughs> and when the cutest Yudas that ever was was forced down our throats, sporting none other than the iconic renegade name badge from the CJ era, it was all I could do to contain my angst and disappointment over what was without question as much of a bad choice as the reuse of the Cherokee name. Now, using the Renegade and Cherokee badges for two vehicles based on failing Italian car platforms, if nothing else, deserves... Is a disservice to Jeep history, and now what I call not what I call paying homage to homage to what were those names, what made those names icons in the Jeep world. But I, I really I digress. As much as this is getting me mad and everything, I would much like to revisit old uh, tirades and everything. But I'm afraid this report falls just shy of a full-on deja vu, as it seems there are rumors that FCA may be once again festooning a renowned and cherished Jeep name badge from yesteryear on something that doesn't deserve it. This, oddly enough, won't be the first time this will have happened to the Jeepster. 
There will have actually been five incarnations of the Jeepster name. The first was before Jeep was actually Jeep even, when Willys Overland unveiled the first Jeepster in 1948 as a more car-like take on the more rugged Jeep truck. That effort only lasted two years on sale before retirement. Now, in 1966, Kaiser visited the Jeepster's grave to try again, this time targeting the Ford Bronco and Toyota Land Cruiser with a model that came in four different body styles and remained on sale for six years earning the respect and admiration of true-blooded Jeep lovers everywhere for decades to come. In 1998, Jeep showed off a Jeepster concept channeling the Willys Overland version that, again, looked like somebody gave Chrysler a Jeep to turn into a Chrysler, but for more money. It ended up resembling a dune buggy more than anything. Then, in 2018, Jeep took a Jeepster concept that channeled the Kaiser model to Moab for the Easter Jeep Safari. That was the red one with the white top that many of us very much wanted to make to production. Now, for the fifth stab at it, FCA is announcing that Jeep has a 2020 Renegade Jeepster edition on the way. So, this will this be a top-of-the-line trim or a limited edition with some never-before-seen tech? Nope. To add yet another notch to the disservice to the name badge belt, the new Jeepster will be based on the bottom-of-the-line, stripped-down, entry-level Renegade Sport trim. Oh, and if you want any other color than white, it will cost you a minimum of $245 extra. History holds that the Renegade, like a few of the Jeepsters of yore, is a temporary application of something that isn't going to last, and we will likely see it again in the future. But I don't think anyone can argue that this is not the return anybody would have wanted or hoped for for the Jeepster name. I said it before and I'll say it again. I, it's nice to see the Toyota FJ coming back. <laughs> well, <laughs> now the picture that you are seeing out there is is a little bit, uh, for, you know, for the co-host, we might have that on the uh, uh, in the show notes for this episode, um, does resemble a little bit in some ways a little bit of the Jeep store or even some of the Ford Bronco concepts that we've been seeing lately. Um, but if I were to be wishing that a Jeepster to be remade, I wish it to look like this more than I wish it to look like a Renegade. No oh, offense. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely true. I mean, at least this is a, uh, <laughs> a, a more traditional, if you will, four-wheel drive platform. Hmm. You know, with uh, axles and things. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like the Jeeps of yesteryear. I, I, I don't mind things that hover and float around. You know, I love anti-gravity, but uh, there's just something about four-wheel drive and uh, front and rear axles. Uh, the solid ones that go all the way across, you know. Mm. One side goes up, the other side goes down. It's, it's nice. Well, if you've got a response to any one of our stories, any one of these we've mentioned here or in the past, if you've got a news tip even, be sure to let us know what you got to say by phone or by email. Just head over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and find out how. Hey, coming up a little bit later in the show, we've got an interview with the guy who got so fed up with his gas appliances that he hooked a chain up to his Jeep and yanked them out of the house with extreme prejudice and anger like they were oh, nothing more than a bad tooth. Oh, my no, gosh. I'm, 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 I'm kidding. I, I put really, I'm this close to doing that. So, uh, so you got everything fixed then is what you're oh, saying. Oh, that was Josh. Okay. <laughs> nope, not yet. Oh man! Well, cold showers are uh, helpful sometimes, Josh. Oh yeah, it's just wonderful. <laughs> Poor Josh. You're listening to a four by four radio network podcast. And now let's go with our top five Jeep rules stolen from a meme on meme on Facebook. <laughs> Number five: Get in, shut up, and hold on. Yeehaw! Hey, ask, ask cash or grass. Know your rides for free. <laughs> Number four, don't tell me how to drive, damn it. Well, unless well, I got a blindfold on and I told you to hold my beer, <laughs> then, well, maybe a couple pointers might be in order. 
Number three, always watch for cops. And have your camera rolling. (laughs) And number two, tell (laughs) never tell me the odds. Boy, I screwed that one up. Ooh, yeah. Never tell me the odds. I've got it cheap. I've got this. How can I do this? Never tell me the odds, kid. Yeah. And the number one Jeep rule, no, you cannot drive. This is my Jeep. Get out of here. Hey, coming up in Tech Talk, electricity or air? We'll talk about which one is better, the better option to power a traction device in your differential. I like the electric idea. As long as there's not a, uh, as long as there's not a, some clutch that can be worn down, uh, I like that. Are you living the Jeep life? From mall crawlers to weekend warriors, from daily drivers to weekend wheelers, it's all about the Jeep life, and it's all good. It's time for Jeep Life with Jeep Mama. Um, I posted a video on April 1st, 2018 on my YouTube channel. It was titled, The Top 5 Jeep Wrangler Easter Eggs, A Tribute to the Willys Jeep. Back in 2010, Jeep hid Easter eggs in the Wrangler as a tribute to the iconic Willys Jeep. I listed the top five that I found in my Jeep, and I asked others to share their finds and post them in the comments on my YouTube video. Some of the Easter eggs were the silhouette of the Willys Jeep on the wheels and in the corner of the windshield. There was also a Jeep grill etched in the cup holder. And there were many, many more. Jeep has placed these Easter eggs in other Jeep models as well. A couple of days ago, I started getting notifications of comments on this video from two years ago. Then I noticed the views jumped up a lot. In less than a week, this video got 15,000 views. I was like, what in the world is going on? So I did some research. A 20-year-old college student discovered an Easter egg on her Jeep and said, I didn't know this existed. She posted it on TikTok. By the way, TikTok is a video sharing social networking service owned by ByteDance, a Chinese company founded in 2012. It is used to create short dance, lip sync, comedy, and talent videos. Hello, 20-year-old college student. Where have you been? This story is even in the USA Today. WTF. I shared this two years ago, and I never got an article in the USA Today. So I decided to reach out to the USA Today trending technology reporter. I messaged him on Twitter. I said, I shared these Easter eggs stories, and it's been around, these Easter eggs have been around for a decade since 2010. They are a tribute to the Willys Jeep. That, that's the Jeep, you know, that won the war for us. I told him these young Jeep owners need to have a better understanding of these Easter eggs. I hope he will dig a little deeper and elaborate on his story. I then tweeted him, at Brett Molina 23. Those Jeep Easter eggs have been around for a decade. Have to say I scooped you two years ago, LOL. This new discovery by the 20-year-old has rejuvenated my video. 15,000 views in less than a week. That's crazy. Yeah, that was really cool. I don't think so, I'd bitch about it, but frankly. <laughs> no, I mean, it's what? exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
So now this is all the rage for these young vehicle owners to share their hidden designs on their cars and Jeeps. They're sharing their Easter eggs on TikTok and Twitter. One TikTok user found a hidden spider design in the gas pump of their Jeep. Others have posted finding flip-flop icons on the Renegade, lizard carvings, the compass, and drawings of miniature vehicles. Hello, that's the Willie's Jeep. <laughs> but, but do they know the Jeep JL Willie's edition? When you turn up the gauge brightness level, you will see an original Willie's in the display. Now, the Jeep Renegade Trailhawk has dozens of these Easter eggs. And just recently, I discovered underneath the hood latch of my Wrangler, it has seven slots. Seven slots. So this college student wrote, Jeep was really trying to get me with a laughing emoji. Ha, ha, ha. No, they weren't. They were making a tribute to Jeep history. <laughs> it has nothing to do with you. She also said in her video, so I bought my first car. It's not a car. And a fun fact about Jeeps is they have a hidden animal called an Easter egg. She continued by saying, well, I couldn't find my Easter egg for the longest time. And one day I was pumping my gas and I saw a spider coming at me. I realized it was my Easter egg. One TikTok user wrote, dude, it's true. I'm so stunned. Found some of my Jeep Easter eggs. Still need to find the animal. And another wrote, I just thought this was a paint blotch. <laughs> it's a Jeep on a hill. Oh, Hello, no. it's the Willie's Jeep. Okay, so my rant is over. But seriously, Google is your friend. Even the reporters of two stories could have done that. Just a little research and found out the background information of these hidden Easter eggs by Jeep. Instead, they said Jeep didn't respond to their request. Okay, so on another note, speaking of older Jeeps, we sold the white YJ and now are on to another rebuild. It's a 1969 yellow CJ5. I got to drive it the other night. Wow, it was really, really cool. I actually felt like I was in the TV show MASH driving Alan Alda to a triage scene. Wow. Seriously. Yeah, it was, I'm it was the coolest thing. It's a three-speed man with manual steering. And the steering wheel feels like I'm driving a bus. Um, and if you thought your Jeep was bumpy, this one wins the prize. We drove topless and doorless and with the windshield down. Very, very cool for me. First time ever. There's actually a video, a video live on my Facebook page uh, when we were driving the Jeep around on the dirt roads in the campground and out in the town. It's a pool, pretty cool little Jeep. Um, we are probably going to sell it. I'm pushing really hard not to, um, but that's our thing. We buy and sell, and I get to test out all these little Jeeps. Um, I'm told, however, this Jeep has what is called suicide steering. It's a lot different than the steering in my Jeep, and I was explained what it is, but instead of me trying to explain to you what suicide steering is, I thought I would let one of our Jeep experts here on the Jeep Talk Show 
share with you what suicide steering is. Josh? I think they call that mansplaining, don't they? Isn't that the, the term no, used? No, yeah. yeah, I don't <laughs> well, yeah. I guess you so, can say there, that. There's a, there, there, there's a couple uh, uh, schools of thought here on this one, and one is the suicide steering in, in which um, you know, you've know you got about 30 or 40 degrees of steering that you've got to continuously uh, be adjusting to. Because there's this giant dead spot in the middle, and, and, and so you've got so much float and, and, and deadness in the steering wheel um, that if you have to make a, you know, a sudden movement, that you've got to crank that thing you know, 120 degrees before you're going to move an inch. Um, now the other uh, the suicide steering that that I know of that's popular in the Jeep world is a suicide knob, and and they refer to these essentially these speed knobs or, or suicide knobs that were um, a, a a knob with a bearing that was clamped to the to the top of the steering wheel, and you could grab this knob and very quickly move the steering wheel back and forth and around in its rotation a lot quicker than you could if you were just grabbing it and moving your hand overhand, 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 moving the steering wheel that way. Um, if you did this in a Jeep at a high enough rate of speed, it would be suicide because you would flip the thing and end up on the top. Uh, so that, that's I, I, you know sc- two schools of thought as far as suicide steering there. Yeah, it's um, actually for this, I believe what they're talking about is the first thing that you mentioned. Um, Very loose steering, almost like driving by Braille because you're bouncing off of one side of the steering box and the other constantly going down the road in a little bit of an S. Well, I was thinking it's kind of like riding a horse, which is about the time frame they were switching from horses to uh, to vehicles. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you just kind of tell the horse, kind of give it an idea which way you want it to go. Isn't that right, Wendy? Oh, what you do with Nelly. A, with a, with sort a of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sort of get the connection there. <laughs> the original four-wheel drive steer. The steering yes. components under, underneath the Jeep are, the steering components underneath the Jeep certainly are not like what they look like nowadays oh no oh no um so tammy we did get a well i don't know if if you got it or not but we uh we did receive an email from the usa uh, today reporter and uh, he uh (laughs) he said uh dear tammy or actually dear jeep mama uh you're not 20 you're not on tiktok and you're kind of a know-it-all so there you go (laughs) yeah (laughs) i am (laughs) I, I know everything. You know, when you first got here, we could tell you anything, and you went, really? Now, now we can't do <laughs> yeah. that. <laughs> no. no more Henway jokes. Have you pulled no that on Henway anybody jokes. yet? <laughs> Actually, did I I told that Henway joke to Neil, and he fell for it. So I think I showed <laughs> oh, that was that's right. a while ago. Oh. <laughs> the circle of life is complete. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, how does Tammy's Jeep life compare with yours? We're always looking for Jeep stories. We want to hear yours. So contact us and let us know what your Jeep life is like. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and find out how. And hey, are you a Jeep or takes their top off? If so, find out where the best place to go topless is with Mitch in Jeep weather. Coming up a little bit later in the show. Hey, it's uh, Quinn again. Uh, so the, uh, the most common gases are uh, argon and CO2. Um, argon will give you uh, good puddle fluidity and art characteristics. Uh, CO2 will give you good penetration, um, but the art characteristics aren't going to be as good. But what you can, can do is you can get argon and CO2 mixed um, anywhere between 75% argon to and 25% CO2, all the way up to 95% argon and 5% CO2. Um, I guess a good place to start would be 90% argon, uh, 10% CO2. That'll give you really the best of both worlds, um, but it's all personal preference. Um, and then for um, welding tips and tricks, uh, YouTube is a great place. 
uh, weld.com, uh, dirt lifestyle like, like Nate. Nate has good welded videos. Um, and then there's WeldTube. Um, there's all sorts of YouTube videos out there that will give you good tips and tricks on how to start welding, um, like cutting your wire, uh, weaving, stringers, uh, welding in position, out of position, gases, all this sort of stuff. Uh, spray transfer, globular transfer, short arc uh, transfer, all this sort of stuff. Um, so I hope I could, I answered a couple of your questions. Um, and I, I hope I helped you out. Um, well, yeah, uh, good luck and, uh, all the best to you. Bye. Now, uh, Quinn, what Quinn's referring to is, is that a couple episodes back, I'd asked for some welding information. I was, uh, you know, I, I mentioned the Hobart, uh, 190, I think is what I was uh, looking at getting. And I was kind of confused about uh, where to get a bottle and where to get the gas. Kind of what you what do you search for whenever you're? I mean, I was thinking welding supply, but I couldn't really find anything in my area. Now in Houston, there's certainly lots of places, but I don't want to drive, so I was trying to look for something around the neighborhood and thought maybe I just wasn't searching for the right thing. And I really didn't understand what kind of gases uh, that were involved uh, in uh, uh, MIG welding. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, Josh, when we brought this up about the welding thing. I yeah. I was really surprised that you didn't have anything to to share about the welding. Or, or How dare do you, you? Do you know? In <laughs> <laughs> a little background information here, Josh wrote up about three paragraphs of information, and I said, "No, I want to ask the folks out there. We're trying to get people <laughs> involved in the show and helping. Yeah, <laughs> they're not going to help if you answer all the questions." <laughs> no, was, it was true. I was I was really <laughs> holding back. Like, no, I got to put this in the show. It's got to be in there for reference. He's got to have this information. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll go back and, uh, and and look at that information. But uh, did you want to jump in with some of your uh, past information? I'm, I didn't get uh, I didn't get done it. with my what, what what I wanted to say. I was like, I'm really surprised that you don't have any welding experience now go yeah <laughs> no really quinn uh, quinn nailed it I, it sounds like he's got uh definitely a skilled fabricator experience classical training that sort of stuff uh and definitely knows what he's talking about there so um i i can't dissuade anything that what he says i will add to it however and say that uh you know there are places all over there national chains um gas supply stores uh that that i mean this is what they deal with i mean they they provide you know co2 to uh to restaurants they'll they supply, you know, medical grade gases to to uh, to, to hospitals and and doctors' offices and dentists' offices, stuff like that. Uh, and of course, they have the more you know commercial stuff for uh, people who are fabricating stuff and and, and making things. Uh, and so, uh, there each of these places have their own proprietary mix, which is oftentimes referred to as a tri mix, uh, where you get an or an argon, a CO two, and then some other inert gas. Sometimes it's helium. Uh, sometimes it's something else. Uh, to where it, it, it kind of gives it a different blend where you get different penetration, your puddling is a little bit different, and it's just a sort of a different level of control over what you're doing. But a lot of this also depends on the wire that you're using and, of course, the material that you're welding and uh, the environment that you're welding in. So, I mean, there's just a lot of parameters that goes into this, but uh, really, Quinn was pointing you in the right direction as far as sources to get good information. So, uh, definitely listen to what he had to say. And I'll mention several people reached out, some of them uh, in uh, email and some of them uh, on Facebook uh, reached out and gave me some information, which I really appreciate. Uh, but uh, it's great whenever you call in and give the information because we can share it with people on the show, which is which is the reason why I brought it up. I can figure this stuff out pretty much on my own or just ask Josh. 
I like asking you guys because, number one, I might learn something new. Josh might learn something new. And also, too, uh, it gives uh, gives everybody else the opportunity to, to get those questions answered that, you know, maybe they're not comfortable asking. Maybe they'd like to know, but they don't want to come across as uh, uh, not being manly uh, or, in some cases, womanly uh, and not knowing anything about welding. I've never welded. I'm interested in doing it. Uh, it's not anything I, th- I don't think that I can uh, – I, I can learn. I think I can teach myself. I've, I've taught myself most things. So uh, it's uh, it, it's something I'm looking forward to do. I'm just damn surprised those those bottles and the gas. I guess the gas isn't that expensive, but 300 bucks for a bottle. Hey, Josh, you probably know this. Uh, if anybody else wants to chime in, uh, please feel free to do. What size bottle do I need? Oh, honestly, it really depends on how long you're going to be doing it. Uh, and well, how long does it last? What kind of I mean, project? A cheap Wait, bottle. what are we talking about again? Because this sounds Welding like it's somewhere else, Tammy, don't you think? <laughs> oh, I can fill a bottle. That's no a problem. The size of a bottle depends on the, how bad the week was, I think. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, right. No, Tony, um, I mean, if you're if the typical size bottle that you're going to see in most Jeepers, you know, small-time fabricator, uh, guys who are just, you know, welding on the weekends, tacking up this, you know, fixing that sort of thing is going to be a 10 or 15 pound bottle. Um, I mean, that is the, the most common size. You can go up, you know, 20, 25, a 50 pound, you know, big ass six foot tall bottle. You're never going to use that much gas. Okay, good. I mean, for, for a project like, you know, I mean, if you're fabricating bumpers, you're doing, you know, a constant, you know, uh, uh, frame stiffener projects, you know, stuff like that. Well, yeah, you might end up no, going like, through it. Like one bumper. I'd like to make a, a, bu- a rear bumper for my wife's Jeep. And it's going to take more stuff than what I have right now, but certainly a welder never, would be one of it. Honestly, for, for everything that you're going to do, you would probably never go through a 15-pound tank. Oh, so, good. Um, yeah, and the other thing you can look at is, is, is renting options. You don't have to necessarily buy the, all the equipment outright. A lot of these places have rental programs as well to where, okay, I just want to tack up this bumper. I just want to install my frame stiffeners. I just want to weld this one bracket on. You know, I mean, that's, and all it, that's all it is. I mean, you've got equipment that you can rent to where, you know, they'll set you up with what you need for the weekend, you know, so, and then you just got to return it, you know, a couple days, a couple weeks, a couple months later. A lot of these times it's, it's just a flat rate and there's no time frame on it. They've got plenty of bottles and plenty of regulators on site where they can, you know, do these kind of rental programs. Now you can buy pretty much anything on Craigslist and I, I'm not interested in getting a used welder. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but the, the, the whole part I'm looking at isn't that expensive. Uh, and it'd be nice to have a, a a unit that didn't have any problems to start with and learn on. But what do you think about getting a used bottle? Is that uh, a good idea, a bad idea, something that uh, you really need to have the experience and see what you're what you're buying that to know that it's a a, a good or a bad deal? Well, a lot of times um, you would use that as a core, uh, and so you're going to go oh. in there to one of these uh, one of these welding places, and because you're not going to be getting a full you know, tank off a of Craigslist. It's it's yeah. likely going to be empty. It may not even have a top on it. Uh, you know, it might only have a couple of pounds in it if, if you have anything. Um, and, and so you're going to basically be taking this back in to uh, to, to your, your welding supply place and say, either fill it or swap it. Um, and they'll be able to determine exactly what kind of condition through the process. They'll be doing a leak down test and making sure that if it does have a top, that the top is in, is, is in the, you know, the regulator, the valve, whatever is in good condition. And, and that you, it doesn't have any leaks or anything like that. So, I mean, they're not going to give you back a faulty tank with a top on it that's leaking and everything like that. I mean, it's just not going to happen. It's like the propane tank thing. Uh, you betcha. Go in there and just get another propane tank. Yeah. Okay. But you can't have your, your personal bottle. If you're really attached to the bottle, you can uh, – Wendy's over there chomping. Uh, if you're really attached, <laughs> to, attached to your bottle, you could, uh, you could tell them just fill that one up, right? 
Sure. All right, good. Well, learning more and uh, maybe getting closer to getting a welder here really soon. I uh, I think it. I just like the idea of being able to weld metal together. I mean, if you can weld metal together, you could pretty much uh, do anything you need to do on your Jeep. It gives you a kind of feeling of satisfaction, like cooking meat over an open flame. I mean, it's just one of those mm. one of those things. Is that something you could do while welding? That might be a good thing to do. <laughs> it's just gonna oh, taste man, that would be, that would really smell good. Why did you become a paid subscriber to the Jeep Talk Show? Jeep Talk Show is in my weekly rotation. Look forward to it every week, each and every Friday. You can be a paid subscriber and help support the show you love, the Jeep Talk Show. I support a great podcast, been a lifelong Jeeper myself. Continue to learn with each and every episode that I listen to. Just go to JeepTalkShow.com and look for the big yellow subscribe button. Absolutely. Yep. You like Jeeps, anything to do with Jeeps. I like it for the, the technical, clear content, uh, advice, and learning. You got tech questions? Ah, what do I ever? We have answers. Oh, that's good. It's Tech Talk with Jeep Talk. Yahoo! Well, it's been a little while since we pulled a tech question from the old mail sack, so this week we're featuring one of our, from our latest entries. John wrote into the show and says, I'm currently researching for new axles on my JKU Rubicon. Not going with anything crazy, but I will be running 37-inch Toyo MT tires. Heavy tire. I'm currently settled on Dynatrack Pro Rock 60 and 44 combination with 513 gear setup. My question is about the lockers. My choices are Eaton Electric or ARB. Since I have factory lockers, I thought that I could use the factory connections and run the electric lockers. Would it be better for the 513 carrier for, for to spring for the ARB setup? Well, first off, thanks for writing in, John. And it sounds like your Rubicon is well on its way to beastdom. Sounds like you've done your homework, too, as I think you're on the right track with your axle selection as well. You're very much right, though. The tires you'll be running are likely the heaviest that are on the market. There might be heavier out there, but in the most popular 37-inch version that is 1250 wide and fits on a 17-inch wheel, I'm assuming that's the ratio that you're going for, the Toyo is the heaviest out of the six most popular brands. For instance, 37-inch BFG KM3 comes in at 77.4 pounds and is only beat being the lightest tire by the Goodyear Wrangler MTR at 77.4 pounds. And, I mean, with uh, 73 pounds. The 37-inch version of the tires I run, the Pro Comp Extreme MT2s, come in at 83 pounds, 10 pounds less than what those Toyos are. And the Cooper STT and the Falcon Wild Peaks are both closer to 80 pounds. Tire selection just isn't about how it looks on the Jeep or how deep the treads are. I mean, these things can weigh 100 pounds apiece, so when you're shopping for your next tire upgrade, don't forget to take weight into consideration. Real quick, John, your gear selection of 513s for 37s is a great choice, but if this is going to be just a toy Jeep and not daily driven, I'd almost recommend stepping into the 529s for a little bit more torque down low. You'll still have almost the same gear tooth engagement, and there will also give you a little bit more headroom to move into 38s or 39s down the road if you want, and you'll still be well geared. But let's get back to the question about locker strength. With 35 spline axles and one half inch axle tube wall thickness, along with a host of serious strength upgrades the Dynatrack puts into the design of those axles, the weak link in this setup is definitely going to be the U-joints. Honestly, the two choices of lockers that John is looking at for his JKU Rubicon are both excellent choices as far as strength goes. Neither one leaves much to be desired, but there are a couple of considerations that John and you listening might want to be aware of. Although you're trying to use as much of the existing wiring as possible for a new e-locker system is commendable, it may not be the best choice. Those switches, lo- those switch locations in the end are just that, a location to which just about anything can be put. And another switch of a similar design or type can be put in its place. The reason why I'm bringing this up is this. 
If you are a Jeep Rubicon owner, you have most likely discovered that your lockers can only be engaged when the transfer case is in low range and you are moving at 10 miles per hour or less. This has less to do with the switches themselves and more to do with the factory wiring which prevents the lockers from being engaged while you pass that semi doing 88 miles per hour. In episode 258, we talk about how to modify these switches to work like normal locker on-off switches do. And if you want more background on lockers and differentials, please go back and listen to episodes 302, 303, and 304 for our three-part series on the topic of differentials and lockers. That being said, e-lockers are just as capable and strong for that matter than just most of the other lockers that are out there. The internal components work very much the same way as the cable-actuated lockers like aux lockers or pneumatically controlled lockers like ARB. The way they are installed really doesn't affect the carrier any differently from one to the other either because in many ways how they mate with the carrier is the same. But myself and others have questioned the reliability of e-lockers over the years and whether or not they have the same longevity as other traction devices do. And let's not forget, there is something to be said about warranties too. Eaton e-lockers are only guaranteed for one year against manufacturer's defects. ARB, however, provides a five-year warranty for their air lockers and a two-year warranty for their compressors, which covers defects against both workmanship and materials. And if that alone isn't enough to sway your decision, think about this. Since its inception in 2007, more top three finishes at King of the Hammers have had vehicles that use ARB lockers. This is one of the hardest, if not harshest, off-road races in the world. And if ARB is there, standing behind their product, and consistently helping racers place in the top three, I'd say that's good enough to put under my Jeep or yours. The switches that you already have can be rewired to work with an aftermarket ARB system, or you can get replacement switches that look like the factory ones, or even a switch panel to mount switches elsewhere in the Jeep if the switch thing is a deal breaker for you. And in that case, you can still replace those old factory locker switches with ones that control some rock lights, or a disco ball, or a hitch-mounted <laughs> margarita blender. You get the idea. (laughs) John, I hope this helps your Rhino Rubicon reach its next level. And be sure to share with us what you end up going along with and uh, some pics of what that bad boy looks like when it's all done, too. I love ARBs. Just always have. I kind of made the determination years ago that that was going to be the best thing to go with. Um, And uh, I've got got one installed and I've got one waiting to be installed. Just uh, haven't got out there and done it yet. Uh, or taking it someplace to have it done. I'm not going to do it. Uh, it's That's too critical of uh, a thing to get right. Yeah, it's definitely something that if, if you're not properly equipped and there are specialty tools that are involved in installing a locker in most cases, um, then it's not something that you want to approach uh, trying to do in your garage. It, there, like I said, specialty tools, specialty setup equipment is involved, um, and it's not something that you can do with just basic hand tools, at least not do correctly. So uh, you may be able to fit it in there, and it may get into the uh, into the differential, uh, and you might be able to make it down to the end of the driveway. Uh, who knows? You might even make it to the freeway. Uh, but there will be a time where uh, that thing's just going to grenade on you, and you are going to cause harm to both yourself and the vehicle and those around you. So Now, Tammy, you've read uh, the Jeep manual, and I had to go to you because I know no man would read a manual. Um, <laughs> what was your understanding of why you can't engage lockers uh, out not when you're not in four wheel drive low and, and going faster than ten miles an hour. Um, it never said in the manual why. I just know there's a lot like the sway locks and the lockers. They it's just the computer shuts them off when you disengage from four wheel low. Don't you ask us why? Do what you're told. <laughs> I know. <laughs> if you don't know, um, that's if you don't know, that's fine. I, I thought you might so. 
I wanted no, to it in- never, include you. It in- never gave a reason. It just, you know, because like even if you forget to turn the buttons off and you um, and you go back into regular drive, it, the computer is going to shut them off automatically. Right. And you really don't want to be using lockers going any faster than, you know, the slow crawl through the rocks that you're having a hard time or through the mud because you can't turn your steering wheel very well. Well, that's the front you know. locker, not the, not the rear locker. Uh, I, you know, I, well, you can't, and in, hey, in my Jeep, I can have my rears on or my rear and my fronts. I can't have just my fronts. Right. Hey, look, if I want to do 57 mile per hour four wheel drifts in the snow around a corner in the freeway, <laughs> that's my prerogative. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. <laughs> tell me how to operate. How about you, Josh? Why why would you think that you wouldn't want to uh, engage uh, lockers? I mean, certainly not a front locker because of the steering thing. But if you're going straight down the highway and uh, you know you're you're gonna uh, pass that semi and uh, <laughs> you need the you don't want to fishtail, uh, but the but the locker, the rear locker on. You know, things got to be meshed up just right. There's a, a lot of things that are, are are moving and in play when in a differential. And if you start moving those things around as they're spinning at multiple thousands of rotations a minute, uh, you know, there's a very high probability that things are going to go bad. Uh, th- something's not going to line up right. Uh, things are not going to mesh. There's going to be too much heat involved. Um, you know, there, it's just there's. Yeah, there's just a lot of things going on that you don't want to start trying to mess with the mechanics of the differential while you're moving at freeway speeds. Uh, now, I mean, that being said, I don't think that there's a problem having that locker engaged while you go up to freeway speeds, okay. but trying to engage it at freeway speeds is a whole nother story. So starting slow and moving your way up, I don't think there's a big problem with. I mean, look at a lot of, you know, uh, desert racers and stuff like that. I mean, a lot of these uh, spool manufacturer companies are, you know, design these things to, uh, to, you know, to, to, you know, do desert racing. And if these guys are doing 100 miles an hour locked over dunes, uh, I don't see why you can't, you know, you know, do the same thing. Uh, you know, with with your Jeep, uh, other than you know, severe body damage and frame damage, <laughs> suspension blowing out. You know, so what you're like saying that, is, if you're racing for pinks, it's fine to engage that rear locker so you have maximum traction for takeoff. Well, look, let me let me, <laughs> let me put it this way: limited slip differentials and and traction devices have been around in the hot rod industry a oh, lot yeah. longer than Jeeps have probably been using them on the rocks. Yeah. So you know, the, yeah, these things have been on the street, uh, you know, providing traction, posi lock traction to you know lock up the rear end. As the tires are spooling up, you know, so yeah, I mean, again, there, there are devices that, that can sort of take that kind of abuse that are designed to take that kind of abuse. Definitely not an ARB kind of a locker. Uh, we're talking about a different kind of attraction device here. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, obviously, e-lockers, ARB lockers, cable lockers, you know, um, those kind of things. You don't want to actuate at high speeds because there's just too much going on and, and things can go, can go wrong. But once actuated at slow speeds, you can definitely bring them up to high speeds. So this is probably Jeep just babysitting people because you, you probably wouldn't like the steering if you engaged uh, or the damage, like what you're talking about, the potential damage of the, the lockers being engaged accidentally at uh, highway speeds. Well, what does this button do? You know, you're doing 80. And uh, certainly wouldn't be fun to have that uh, front steering not be responsive. Uh, or, or I guess even in snow or rain, you might be in a bad situation if you engage those lockers. Uh, so yeah, maybe it's just a, a liability issue. Sure. Yeah, definitely. You know, you, I mean, call it nanny stating, you know, call it uh, babysitting, call it looking out for the customer's best interest, call it what you will. Uh, I think it's just, you know, better being, uh, being safe, you know, better being safe than sorry. 
Well, hey, uh, before we wrap this up, I just want to tell you, episode 348, uh, we've got some other tips uh, and tricks to upgrading the JKU Dana axles. And next week, we'll be answering fan of the show Greg's question about maintaining a 20-year-old 4-liter inline-six engine that's approaching 300,000 miles. In the meantime, if you have anything to add for Tech Talk, maybe you have a question for Tech Talk or a subject that you would like for us to cover, just jump over to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact and send us a message. In episode 46, we interview Eric Zappi, the author of High Performance Jeep XJ Builder's Guide. Hartech, who's the publisher of the book, they were looking to getting into doing a book on the Jeep Cherokee. They wanted to get into the off-road stuff because they really hadn't done it before. The publisher was actually unprepared for the, the response that they got and caught them off guard. That's how successful it was right out the gate. Where do you keep your books? Hey, I, I read in the bathroom myself. Well, I mean, what else are you going to do? You, somebody will come check on you if you start humming a tune. You won't know what you're missing unless you go listen. What? Where's the noob? Noob! 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 Hey, newbie! Noobie! Noob Nugget. It's time for Newbie Nuggets. Well, at some point, you may want to lead a group on a trail run, or maybe you've been asked to lead a run. It's really fun to lead for several reasons. One, you get to pick the trail and the run. Two, you're in charge. And three, there's no dust. Yep, probably the best part of being the leader is no dust. After you've been on multiple runs in the middle of the pack or toward the back, trust me, you'll want to lead a run. And once you do, it'll be hard to be in the middle of the pack ever again. So what is involved with leading a run? Depending on the size of the group and if it's a club or organized run, it's pretty simple to set up. First, you need to, see, <clears throat> first you need to get the details of the run. Pick the trail, the date, the time, and place to meet up. Sometimes groups may meet somewhere far from the trailhead and caravan where they'll meet up again. This is where you usually air down and have the driver's meeting. You need to describe the details of the run and what is needed on that trail. List minimum rig setup based on whether the run is an easy, medium, or difficult trail. You'll also need to list the minimum requirements for that trail, like the tire size, lift lockers, and if there's going to be any body damage that might occur. And you'll also need to list the meeting time and departure time. Most Jeep groups are known for leaving on time. As a leader, that's your job to ensure the timing of everything. Some runs may need a head count for various reasons, so if you do, make sure you list an email or phone for everyone interested to RSVP to. Now on the day of your run, show up early. Once you're at the trailhead, air down. This will give you time to meet and greet new members and also to verify rigs and get waivers signed if it's required. Now, part of this is greeting everyone. And part of being a run leader is welcoming new drivers, newbies, and old friends. Trail leaders are typically great ambassadors for off-roading. Now, if needed, get all attendees to sign the waiver. You can ask for a volunteer ahead of time to help you to collect the signatures. This will give you more time to meet and greet. It's important to have a clipboard and pen ready to make it easy for the, to get those signatures. And don't forget about the kids. Adults need to sign waivers for all their kids in attendance, again, if you're needing those waivers. Now you need to verify rig equipment. If you stated that this run was difficult and a brand new off the showroom Jeep shows up with no upgrades, you need to decide if that driver should or should not drive their own Jeep or at least let them know their Jeep will not look the same at the end of the trail because they've been winched over most of the obstacles. It's kind of a tough spot to be in, but it may be necessary to mitigate trouble later on. This may also require you asking them to leave their Jeep and ride with someone else, or they risk body damage. Now, there is a basic list of items each Jeep should carry for off-roading. 
And for you listeners, you can go back to episode 426 for that basic list of items. But most organized Jeep clubs, club runs require certain items in your Jeep to participate. Check with another club member if you're not sure to find out what is required. As an example, one club run we did with a huge group had a Jeep inspection to make sure that we had all the items on their checklist that were needed and were given to us ahead of time. We were then issued a windshield sticker to show we had the items needed for that run. Now, most everyday runs we do, we're not checking to see if you have your fire extinguisher, etc. But we do make sure the requirements are met for that type of trail, like lift, tire, and body damage. Now, determine if you have any newbie drivers and place them behind a more experienced driver. This will help you navigate tough spots and reduce possible problems and delays on the trail. Don't put all your newbie drivers together either. It'll be more like herding cats, trust me. <laughs> Try to space them among others with more experience. You'll also need to pick a tail gunner. This is the person who'll be at the back of the pack, and they'll be your eyes as to any issues or delays. The trail gunner also lets you know that the pack is moving or has made the last turn, etc. And the tail gunner should be an experienced jeeper. Now, if the group is more than 15 jeeps, I would suggest a mid-gunner. It just helps keep the group together, and there is help midway if needed. You'll also need to select the channel for the CB or ham that all participants can listen to. Most clubs have their own designated CB or ham channel. And a good suggestion for you as the leader is to have additional handheld radios that you can lend to anyone who doesn't have the equipment. Now, we've been on runs and used both CB and ham. Some drivers may only have a CB or ham. As the leader, if you're using both, you will need to convey any messages on both types of units. Now, about five to ten minutes prior to the departure time, start your driver meeting. This is really important, and it's also where you welcome everyone and discuss any information about the trail. Normally, we discuss things like no alcohol, asking for help spotting guidelines, waiting for the Jeep behind if there's a turn, or waiting to make sure the Jeep behind you gets through an obstacle. It's really a good time to get to know everybody and get everybody a good feel for who the drivers are there. You're also going to mention the general plans for the day, bathroom breaks, lunch spots, anything else that needs to be uh, mentioned. Now, once the meeting's over, it's time to start the run. Enjoy, and when you stop for the bathroom break, remember, men go to the left and women go to the right, because women are always right. Now, keep track of the time during your lunch stops. It's easy to get caught up in conversation as time passes. Leave enough time for lunch, and but yet keep the group moving. Once lunch is over, let everyone know it's time to move on. And surprisingly, when the lead Jeep starts out, most everyone hurries back to their Jeep and away you go. <laughs> At the end of the run, make sure everyone airs back up and gets on their way. There may be a couple of Jeeps that still need help airing up. One of the hardest things to predict is how long a run will take. Since none of us has a crystal ball, it's a good suggestion that you might want to pre-run that trail to see how much time it took and also to check the condition of the trail. Severe damage to a trail could slow the rundown, and we all know most runs take a bit longer than anticipated. Now, most Jeepers don't really plan other things on a trail day just for that reason. Anything and everything can go wrong. Could be a flat tire to breaking something that requires a, a repair on the trail. Then you can see why you need tools on board. All right, guys. So what are some other things you'd want to add about being a run leader? Boy, you know, you really covered it. The one thing I didn't think that you were going to mention was, uh, you know, packing an extra radio. That's something I never see anybody else doing. I, 
I always carry uh, both a, a portable CB. I'm talking, this thing's got to be a 40-year-old, realistic oh, you wow. know, Radio Shack <laughs> brand. You know, throw in 16 AA batteries. I was going to say, that's the one. Scoping antenna. Yeah, that's the one yeah. with a proper antenna, center, center fed exactly. antenna. Yeah, I had one of those. <laughs> Wow. Well, man, yeah, but it but it works, you yeah. know. I mean, you got to have yeah. the antenna hanging out the window for for anything uh, longer than about a hundred yards of reception or, or transmission. Uh, but uh, but it does work in a pinch. If you've got somebody who's completely new and mm-hmm. and they just they've got nothing, they no recovery points, no armor, you know, and, and they got nothing. They barely even have shoes on. Uh, but they're out there to have some fun, and and the whole you know point is going on some easy trails. Then okay, here you go. You're going to need to stay in communication. Just keep mm-hmm. this on the seat and 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 listen up for directions. You know that sort of thing. I also carry around a set of those you know Motorola two way radios, uh, perfect mm-hmm. for spotting. Uh, or if you got you know somebody that needs to run for you know uh, down at the bottom to talk to the tail gunner, or you know other sort of you know intergroup communications where CB isn't going to might work out or uh, otherwise you know block out the channel or something like that these also work for for some other side communication as well so exactly uh, but you know glad to hear you you touch on those kind of things because i, I never see that out here in, in my neck of the woods well it's interesting too we've we've had it and i think it helps with the jeep experience that when you are new and this happens to a lot of people they they're just driving they don't really understand and lots of times a trail leader mm-hmm. has information about a trail they might point out vista points or hey look over here or hey by the way be careful or hey there's motorcycles <laughs> coming and i think it includes these new drivers and it also encourages them to get some sort of communication but yeah we've always tried to carry extra and most everybody has at least in our group up here that you know we have extras we can let people borrow and it i think it kind of helps make it make it work out so you're almost like Absolutely. the uh, the pilot of a plane on your left you can see a grizzly bear <laughs> <laughs> at cherokee owners you might want to 500 yards up, cherokee you owners you might want to roll up your windows uh, wrangler yeah. owners that are topless this looks scary <laughs> yeah exactly oh my gosh so Tony, anything you'd add as far as leading? Have you I, have you led some runs? No, no, I, I haven't been on many runs. But uh, when I went up to uh, the off road park uh, last October, they uh, actually handed me a uh, a Bofeng, uh radio that was uh, set for the uh, uh, the huh. frequency that they were using. Okay. And uh, of course, I just uh, uh, took the frequency off of it and uh, tuned it down on my uh, ham radio, and I was able to listen in. Uh, through the comfort of the external speaker, but it was very nice being handed that because you're right, especially if you don't, uh, if you've never been to a park before, you don't know what to expect. Uh, mm-hmm. There's there's people up in front of you that you may not even be able to see. It was a heavily mm-hmm. wooded environment where I was at, and you couldn't even see the people up there. You don't know they they may have taken you out there in the middle of nowhere and left your ass. <laughs> But when you when you have that communication, you have a good idea what's going on because invariably you're sitting there waiting for them to whatever they're doing, and you're you're, you're saying to yourself, maybe to your uh, your uh, a passenger, what the hell are those people doing? Let's go. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think communication is probably a key when it's when you're a trail leader, and I think it's important to. Oh yeah. I mean, you don't have to give every you know blow by blow moment, but there are times when. You know, you may say, hey, if you're new, you want to come and check out this obstacle. And it just reminds and gives people a level of comfort to get out and try things. So it's it's really a good idea. So how about you, Tammy? Um, well, one thing that um, I've recently experienced, especially on the more difficult trails with more difficult obstacles, usually the trail leader will go through the obstacle and pull way far up get out, run back to the obstacle and help guide people over yes. who may not feel comfortable yeah. with that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so that's something that you might just want to let everybody know, hey, there's going to be X amount of obstacles. And as a leader, I typically, you know, do the obstacle, get out and come back and walk. So if you don't feel comfortable, I will help you over the obstacle. Well, and I so think that's, that's a good other thing. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think being a leader, you have to remember, you might have to get out and run back, as you say. So are you physically mm -hmm. able? Is this something you can right. do? Are you experienced? Do you want to do it? And I've seen it too, where it was really good. We've got some newer people in our Jeep club and I had been encouraging the newbies and in their Jeeps are stock. They're doing easy runs to get out and be a trail leader. And they kept saying, I can't do that. I, I'm not experienced. I don't know what I'm doing. And I said, sure you can pick any easy trail. We'll be there with you in the middle of the pack to help you out. I'll show you all the ropes, but you lead it. Talk about confidence, you know, so I think there's opportunities sometimes we're not even aware of that you can do that. But as a leader, you do kind of have to be able to say, okay, I, I don't feel comfortable getting someone through this obstacle, but you can select someone else in the group to help spot or to help get them through right. too. So the leader can do it themselves or assign or help people. I think it's just more of a coordinator, if you will. So, but that's a really good point. Pulling ahead, getting back and checking things out. So. Wendy, I have a Great. question for you. Yes. Um, and I may have asked this before. I don't think so. But uh, if if somebody's not quite sure that their Jeep is up to the specs necessary to go on a trail ride, is there a way that they can contact the, 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 the organizer, the trail leader, ahead of time and maybe feel better about it? I kind of get the feeling that you kind of handle this in the Jeep club face-to-face uh, -face in person. But there could be situations, I would assume, where there's a trail ride and people are invited well, and you may not be able to talk to them face-to-face -face until they get there. Usually when you list you're going to do a run, whether it's through Facebook or through your club or you're just announcing, hey, who wants to show up? You're, as the leader, sort of stating, this is the type of trail, this is what's sort of recommended, 35s, you need lockers in the front or rear, you know, something like that. Um, so normally that's sort of ahead of time. I've had it where we, we list a trail and they'll call and they'll say, well, this is what I have. Do you think I could still make it? And if we're familiar with the trail, maybe it's a medium trail with some difficult spots, but you can get through on 33s or just basic 35s and you don't have a big lift, you know, and we'll say yes, but you can expect some body damage. Are you willing to take that risk, you know, kind of a deal, or you might get scratched or scraped or you're out in the desert and there is no major rocks and you've got pinstriping going on because the trails are narrow and you've got trees and stuff around you. Those can also be body damage in a sense. So I right. think it's part of the leader. When you put the run together, you kind of have to list the date, the time, um, what's expected, what's minimum. You know, if it's easy, it's easy. If it's medium, there are some requirements. If it's difficult, you need to specify it. And I think that kind of eliminates it but you know we we have seen it come up and people don't know and they do have to reach out so if you're a newbie or you're not sure if you're able to do it contact that leader and say this is what i've got can i do this run and, and most leaders are going to tell you and and so the bottom line is don't uh feel like you can't ask oh absolutely ask and if if they don't want to answer you uh, perhaps it's the wrong leader the wrong group and you don't want to be yeah. with them anyway uh, exactly. And also, too, I would recommend that people don't uh, say, well, I'm going to save myself the embarrassment and just go out on my own and do it no. by myself. And that way I don't have to be embarrassed. I, I can just do it. But you should always go with some folks. And being on a trail ride with lots of other Jeepers, especially more, much more experienced Jeepers, is a much better way to go. Well, you're going to learn quicker, too. And I think it happens more when you see something on Facebook. There's a lot of different Jeep uh, groups that we've talked about. 
probably in areas and you see something, hey, we're going to meet up at this location to do this run. You definitely, if you don't know these people, you just saw a post somewhere, maybe it's a sign in a window that there's a run going. You definitely want to ask questions if you don't get the information you need. And I think that's how you learn. So I would hope everybody would ask. And again, like somebody said, if you don't respond, if they don't get a response back, that's not the run for you if, if yeah. you don't feel confident. You know, go away, just get away from that. Um, but yeah, that's that's good information, you guys. Anything else you want to add, anybody? Good. Well, if you have a topic or suggestion for Newbie Nuggets, please let us know. And if you want more information, on, check out our YouTube channel on Jeep 4-1-1 with more tips, tricks, and techniques. And if you're a newbie or maybe you remember something important you learned when you first became a Jeeper and you want to share it with us, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us with your Newbie Nugget. Just go to jeeptalkshow.com slash contact to find out all the ways to contact us. From the mind of Nikki G. Hey, this is Nikki G. And uh, last week you talked about trail damage or carnage and trail repairs. And uh, a couple years ago, first time I took uh, Wendy wheeling with me, we were on a, you know, I, I believe that's the first year I went wheeling with uh, Jeep Mama, too. And uh, we were on a trail. And it was a difficult trail, but we were in a spot where it was kind of easy. We are just tooling along through the woods to the next obstacle. And we are just shooting the breeze back and forth, having a good time. Then out of nowhere, bam, I hit this rock. And uh, it pushed my tie rod into the track bar. And uh, my, my Jeep was all right. And uh, when, when I say all right, I mean it only turned to the right. It wouldn't turn to the left. <laughs> I freaked out. I didn't know what to do. I mean, oh, man, this is a long walk home. But uh, the guys are with Carolina Trails Off-Road, uh, they knew right away what to do. They, we took my winch and uh, ran it to a tree around a snatch block and tied it up to the uh, tie rods and yanked it kind of straight. And I was able to drive off the mountain and uh, I drove it home. It was it was kind of a rough ride home, but uh, it, it made it home. So that's my trail damage. And then uh, two years later, Wendy's with me again. And uh, I believe I was with the same group of people, yeah. And uh, we're on the same trail, and bam, I hit, I hit the rock, I hit a rock, and stopped. It didn't do any damage, but before the jeep can even come to a stop, when he says, "I bet it's that same damn rock," <laughs> she went wheeling with me one time after that, but she kind of lost interest quick. So that's that's my trail damage story, at least one that I'll admit. But that's not why I'm calling. I'm calling today to find out. If uh, sheep rub up against each other, do they get static cling? Shocking. Yeah, I know. Where does he- All right, boys and girls, I'll chat at you later. You have a good one. Bye. He has a where book, he- uh, book, Wendy. I was going to say, where does same- he come up with it? <laughs> It's he the he same wrote the book, book that Tony has. The same oh. book that Tony has. <laughs> oh my oh. gosh. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, Wendy, uh, Nikki G's wife, uh, uh, might be the issue with hitting the rocks. Maybe I Nikki was going to say, there's a common denominator here, and I don't think it's <laughs> the rock or the Jeep. I'm just yeah. saying. Uh, <laughs> Nikki G needs to uh, pay attention to where he's going instead of Wendy. I think that's the problem. <laughs> Glory, hallelujah, I'm outside. With the COVIDs. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, glad you made it up here without, uh, you know, running into anybody or anybody running into you or anything like that. Six foot distancing. Well, <laughs> I guess that's one way to do it. Might <laughs> want a little bit more room on the trail, though, especially if uh, the, the person behind you has had a few too many, as it were. Uh, and that's kind of what uh, brings me uh, to this topic for this week. Uh, you know, one of my recent wheeling trips uh, was involved with somebody who was doing something that they shouldn't have while they were on the trail. And uh-huh. there was a very close call involved, which had me jumping out of my Jeep and yelling at the person behind me uh, because uh, it, they almost, well, it just, yeah, it was a very bad situation. So uh, come to find out they uh, hadn't been imbibing for half the day uh, while we were on the trail and uh, their just their their depth perception and the reaction times and everything were, were being sacrificed for it and uh, uh, safety and, and almost the rear end of my Jeep was almost sacrificed because of it too. So uh, I want to hear about these kinds of stories uh, about the guy who cuts the corner to avoid that one part of the trail or, you know, the Jeeper who's drinking when they shouldn't be or the one throwing their trash out on the trail or, you know, bullets into the campfire, that sort of stuff. I don't want anybody to name names because we don't want anybody, you know, getting some, you know, I don't know, some ill Ill, uh, repercussions or anything like that. So please do not use names. Do not use specific uh, club names or anything like that. Uh, But you can, you know, that one guy in the red Jeep, you know, that that's fine. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, know, like I said, I've, yeah, you know, I've, I've, I've said, uh, you know, one of my stories, uh, let's, uh, let's turn it now to uh, some of our listeners here. We've got a few with us. And, and uh, of course, if, uh, you, you, uh, if I call your name, uh, tell me where you're from and uh, go ahead and, and, and dive into your story. Uh, we're going to start with Jerry this week. Jerry, uh, what do you got to say? Well, uh, you know, uh, I, I've seen quite a bit of stuff. Uh, thankfully, I've not been into any, you know, like altercations or anything like that. I have seen plenty of people going and uh, you know, like you were talking about around the trail or off the trails and uh, alcohol drinking and throwing out trash. And, you know, the thing about uh, you know, any of that stuff that really kind of uh, upsets me is when you've got somebody new with you and they're experiencing this, this is their first, uh, uh, you know, their first time that they've seen this kind of stuff. And it's, and it's just a, a negative thing. And so, you know, no fights for me, but you know, I, I sure don't like it when uh, uh, when the newbies are with me and they see it. How, how common is this, Jerry? How often do you see this? Uh, you know, thankfully, it's not uh, you know a ton, uh, but you know, it does happen. People people go off road. They're they're not uh, treading lightly. They're you know they're not thinking about their trash so much. Um, you know, I'm always picking up trash, and and I and sometimes I'll just do that right in front of folks. Just so that oh, yeah. they can get that idea that maybe that's a good a good thing to do. Absolutely, no, and it is, and it, it, you're definitely uh, you know spreading the the good rep. But you're right, there's there's absolutely no second chances for a first impression. And if you've got a new jeeper with you, somebody who's new to trail riding or something like that, and they're seeing some you know jackass, <laughs> you know they're gonna yeah. they're gonna associate that with with everything that is related to off road from that point moving forward. So. Um, yeah, there's, there's definitely, you know, first impressions are, are important here, uh, you know, with, with that regard. And, and yeah, you don't want somebody in the group who's, who's, you know, doing that sort of stuff. Um, you know, Chris, what about you? Have you seen anything, uh, anything like this? I have, uh, nothing real bad, but, uh, was out with an organized group a few years ago, good organized group, just like you were speaking of. And there was a, a man-made rock obstacle, which was basically concrete and a large concrete, um, uh, tube in the middle of it. And there was a a drive around and and most of the group drove around. I mean, you need a good rock buggy to go over this thing. 
couple of the guys that were up on 38s went over without a problem. But there was a guy in a new uh, Wrangler Willis, 10,000 miles on it, oh, brand no. new, had a uh, leveling kit in the front of it and uh, drove right up it at full speed. And oh, uh, <laughs> somehow centered, centered it right on the tube and was hanging the front and rear wheels in the air. And just gunning the motor, gunning the motor, yelling, I'm a Jeeper now. And I, he may have been under the influence. And we all got out and were waving and yelling. I mean, just to get him to stop because we thought something bad was going to happen. And after yeah. about 10 minutes of pulling down on the front and pushing up on the rear, he got it down. He took out the front air dam and took out the whole rear bumper and couldn't have been happier. Uh, <laughs> I, there was definitely something wrong with him because it was a new Jeep. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, wow. was about it. And we all kind of steered clear from him. But uh, nothing bad. Yeah. It was more entertaining. But, yeah, not not wow. you don't like to see that <laughs> No, no, that definitely. I mean, because you know, at that point, your judgment is uh, is certainly impaired, uh, and you're not thinking clearly. Uh, and I'm I'm sure under different circumstances, that maybe that person uh, would have uh, opted to take the bypass on on that obstacle. I, I've I've seen that sort of stuff too. Just you know, somebody who wasn't necessarily prepared for the for that particular obstacle, or or you know, maybe had too much liquid courage still in their system from the night before. You know, I don't know, and, and thought they could when they definitely shouldn't, and. Uh, and and obviously carnage will will in, will in, in, incur uh, almost always uh, will will happen. Uh, but uh, let's let's hear from from Travis. Travis, what, what sort of stuff have you seen in this regard in your adventures? As as you are announcing this, and I thought to myself, I'm like, I haven't seen much. I haven't seen much. I'm one to have plenty of liquid courage from the night before. I'm one to have done a lot in my life, but I respect the trails and I tread lightly. That said, as this was brought up, it flashed into my mind. I'm like, I remember, and it wasn't so much a Jeep causing the damage, but a Jeep owner on a trail in Uari. And I'm going to say Uari and just leave it at that, but they've got a rock there, and a person proposed to his wife on it by spray painting the entire Will You Marry Me? It's beautiful, it's sweet, it's great, but it's on a national rock in a national area. Wow. Don't do that. Yeah, and that's right. And a lot of people lost respect for him and the group. And and he's a good guy. He he didn't think about it. He wasn't reacting, but at the same time I'm like, why would you ever do that? Why would you spray paint Will you marry me on a rock that you're about to drive your Jeep up on? I mean, Tammy, if she's still with us, she's been on Poser Rock. You know, Wendy, if you've been with, you know, in the Uari Trails, you've been on Poser Rock. It's a big, beautiful rock that people drive on, but to damage property in a national forest was horrible, and I hate that's it. That's just wrong. When, yeah, that's yeah. wrong. Yeah, it's wrong. It's horrible. When did they do this? Because it was nice and clean when I was there. It was it was last year. It, it's been oh over this past, this past fall, uh, 2019. Um, oh, is wow. when that was done. Man. It's um, a huge, it was, huge rock, people. This is huge. Huge rock. Wow. Yeah, it's poser up. It's, yeah. it's a big, beautiful rock that got spray painted. And, you know, it's been cleaned. It's been, we, we've got many, many, many groups that go out and clean and help maintain our trails but when people do things like that it's just like uh, you're kind of oh. ruining everything we do 
Well, I'm sure somebody. I'm sure somebody said something to him about it. Uh, maybe, oh yeah, maybe politely, I, I personally uh, said something to him. I was pissed. Um, but you know, I I think the other thing that does is when it's posted like that, or somebody sees a picture, they think it's okay to do it as well, right? Or or let right. me do it even bigger on a bigger rock, or let me. The, and I think that's the, the problem. Is stop. the whiplash he had? No, I don't think anyone ever will do it again. So, I mean, he had whiplash from every one in the area Good. it's not like hey you didn't get his name was blown up and and out there and he's still out there and he's still he's still a good guy he made a bad choice and a bad decision you know i'll respect him but i will chew his ass out about the decision he made and what he did um you know people make poor choices i've done it a thousand times you know it's just but you got to respect the land, respect what we're allowed to do, respect Jeeps and nature, period. Well, I'm glad it worked out in the long run, but uh, and, a, and a great lesson learned. I'm glad you brought that up because there may be some other people out there that uh, don't don't think these things through like this. Well, and I certainly see why they call it Poser Rock. Uh, looking at some images of uh, this Poser Rock in, in Uari and, uh, and well, yeah. No, definitely perfect opportunity to uh, you know post up some of those flex pictures and you know stack some jeeps up next to it that sort of thing. So yeah, I get the uh, for the for the perfect poser shot, uh, poser rock. Yeah, so uh, I, I didn't keep, couldn't get, find any pictures of the graffiti. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know some good stewards of the land have gone out there and and done what they could to uh, to you know grind it or wash it off or or whatever. And and it sounds like the uh, the person who uh, was the offender, the graffiti artist out there. Uh, Despite his best intentions, <laughs> has his lesson learned. So, um, well, let's yeah. keep the keep it on going here. Um, let's uh, shove it back to our hosts here. Uh, you know, Wendy, what sort of stuff have you seen in regards to people not, you know, behaving, having poor trail etiquette, you know, that sort of stuff out on out on the uh, in the off road world? You know, it's kind of funny for me. It's the hot doggers, the ones who show up on a trail. Maybe you've got a group going, and they are going to go around it, and they don't care what path they take. And they don't care how they beat up their rig and they just have to step on that throttle and, you know, more power is going to get me through it. And mm -hmm. you just, you just watch with amazement and going, you're a bunch of real idiots, aren't you? I mean, it's just, it's crazy because they, they don't understand that they're destroying the, you know, area. They're doing too much wheel spin to begin with, but they don't care. They just want to get through it, show how tough they look and flex their muscles or whatever they think they're doing. I don't know. So for me, it's the hot doggers that try to go through. And I've seen too many of them and you're hearing stuff break and they, they just don't care. Oh. I don't know. I think, I think it gives all Jeepers a bad name because it's not how you're supposed to do things, you know? So, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, you know, when in doubt, throttle out, not always oh. the get, not always the, the, the best way to go. Yeah. No, no, it's not. So. I hope I hope that is uh, liquid courage that does that, and not just plain stupidity. But uh, no, I think for the most part it's stupidity because I think you know you see it with different, maybe not always jeepers. It's other types of rigs mm -hmm. as well. But they just mm -hmm. sort of come through a trail, and you know, as a, as a group, you let someone pass, no big deal. But it's the way they pass, you know, or they have to show off, or they have to. We're going to go around it, or I don't know. Anyway, I, I will agree with I will agree with you to a certain extent, Wendy. That the the breaks in trail etiquette I have seen most have come from non jeepers. I would uh, agree. It, it just I don't call it what it is is what it yeah. is, but uh, uh, it, yeah, it's just kind of one of those things, and and I don't yeah. know exactly how to explain that 
uh, why you know why other than just you know jeepers are, are cut from a different kind of cloth but uh um okay uh tammy what, what have you got i want i want to hear because i know you've been out in, in some world-renowned uh, places uh <laughs> and have seen some stuff uh what 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 kind of stuff have you seen out on the trail that that kind of left you wondering if this person is really uh the, the best kind of person to be out on the trail well i i kind of it's kind of on the same realm as wendy um but it's that speeding, like, oh, I'm going to go super fast. And it's not like over obstacles or anything. It's like in between everything. Like um, when we were in Southern California, we're in these sandy washes. And, you know, we just went and did a bunch of rocks and went around some rocks, whatever. Then you have this, this one jeeper decides to go tearing off. And you could like run multiple jeeps side by side through this area. And this one jeeper decides to show off and he puts the pedal to the metal and he goes zooming off and he kind of hits a rock or a, like a berm in the in the sand and he goes flying in the air and he lands back Ooh. down and all of a sudden he stopped and he's out and he's got, you know, this paper towel and we're like, I'm thinking, oh, ha ha ha, he spilled his Coke or whatever. But he <laughs> actually, he was wearing a baseball hat and the little button thing on the hat he flew up oh, so high, oh. he hit his head on the roof, and he started, he, <laughs> the thing on the baseball hat indented into his head, and he was bleeding, like, dripping down his face. Karma. Um, yeah, right? And then, Instant karma. People with pointed heads uh, shouldn't wear hats. And then another thing, and this was at Uwari, um, Travis, you'll know, there's some of the trails, there's, like, spots where you aren't going over obstacles, and so... Yeah. The people in the groups, they speed up between these obstacles and they were, they would always get annoyed with me because I don't switch back and forth from low to high. I just, when I'm on a trail, I was always taught just staying for low. So that's what I did. And so they're all like speeding up to the next obstacle. And I'm thinking, why do we have to speed up this? We're out here to enjoy this and have fun. And anyway, so one of them sped up and wasn't paying attention and hit one of those tree roots. There's lots of tree roots in Uari and he tore his Jeep up. He tore underneath up and, you know, he had to get towed off the trail. So I just think it's that, why are we always in a rush to get to the next thing? Let's just mm -hmm. slow down and enjoy the trail. Enjoy trails. life. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and when you speed, you're, you know, you're tearing those trails up just like out at Moab, all those, mm -hmm. I hate to say it, but all those guys in the razors, they're tearing those trails up because they're going too fast and you don't need to go that fast. And we, we don't want to pick on the razors. It's, it's really the, the side-by-sides and uh, the, in general that I've heard about. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I'll have to find out which exactly which episode it was, but uh, I, I did this uh, little report on the science behind what causes washboarding on gravel roads and, and stuff like that. We see it a lot on on those in-betweens you know when you're going from one trail to the other from one obstacle to another uh and this is the places where people like to speed up because well okay i just you know spent the last you know hour and a half on this i want to okay get some speed and get the, get the <laughs> wind going cool and, off a little and, bit and, and air, air out the jeep some you know i mean there's a hundred reasons why somebody wants to you know speed up a little bit in, in between trails but you're right it's not necessarily the best thing to do and there is a science behind why you don't want to do that uh, but you know, I mean, that's, that's a story for a whole nother, a whole nother show. Um, let's get back to Greg, uh, Greg, what sort of stuff have you seen on the trail that kind of left you with a bad taste in your mouth? Really? The only thing I've seen that was kind of uh, goofy was, uh, my senior year in high school, we went down to Daytona beach 
And, uh, of course, down there you can drive on the beach with your vehicle. And uh, about the time high tide comes in, everybody gets in their car and drives off, off the beach. Well, one, I think it was a Jeep Liberty, did not do that. Or well, maybe uh -huh. not a Liberty because it didn't have it back then. I, I forget what kind of Jeep it was. It wasn't, a, it wasn't an XJ, but maybe it was a, an older Jeep. Uh, maybe it was one of those older Jeep XJs, like the I can't even know what the name of name of those are. Oh, the, it got the, sucked the up in the, the, the wagoneer. Yeah. yeah, I got sucked up in the tide, and that was kind of funny to watch that. But uh, it's such a shame. Did it, yeah, did it lose it, it completely? I mean, did it, did it go out out to the boats, or did we did somebody able to get a rope on it? Were they able to recover it later? You know, the next day. I mean, was it was it was it gone forever? By the time the I think the guy that was there ended up just for, you know, he went off to another part of the beach or went to a hotel or the store goes, he went off with, with, with some friends, just didn't get back in time. And by the time oh. they realized he wasn't going to save his Jeep, you know, the guy who, because the tide was getting really close to the front wheels, they, mm. uh, somebody had gone through and, and tied off, uh, a rope or a chain or something to the axle, the rear axle of it, so it wouldn't get swept out. And then they had it tied off to a, an anchor point that was back towards the, to the more inland. So, it, so the jeep didn't get sucked out, but it did get it did it did sink down to the uh, frame pretty much. Oh, there, the, the there's movie. an insurance claim. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was it was it was buried pretty deep. Oh, that's a bad one. That's a bad one. Well, there's a uh, a jeep in the news recently that. Uh, I became famous for a very similar reason. Yeah. Uh, actually, we reported on that here a couple of times as well. Uh, Isaac, what do you got to say on this topic? Um, in my maybe 10 or so times that I've gone out for different Jeep events, I've really never seen anybody being really, you know, obnoxious. There was one instance where someone just had, you know, typical, you know, like mall crawler where they had a big stereo on the backside, but. Other than that, really nothing. That's like me. <laughs> Maybe it was you. <laughs> no, see that, and that's good. I want to hear more stories like that. More stories of jeepers being good jeepers. You know, I mean, yeah, we've all got those horror stories, and, and of course, there's you know what they say. There's a bad, a bad apple in every bunch. Uh, but you know, it, it's up to each and every one of us to make sure that we're not that bad apple and. And that maybe those around us, uh, the, at least those who we surround ourselves with, are are kind of cut from the same kind of cloth, and, and aren't the kind of people who are going to be tossing out trash or imbibing too much while they're out on the on the trail, or or otherwise, you know, making a bad name for us jeepers. Each and every week we're doing this, and I can't thank everybody enough for uh, chiming in and sharing their stories. Good stuff this week, and and uh, and I hope to see you guys again next week. And if you out there want to join in on the campfire side chat. We'd love to have you. We're doing this each and every week. All you have to do is make sure you're following us on Facebook. We uh, we put out the uh, the warning, if you will, the, the notification <laughs> uh, that this is going to happen, and and uh, and the and the links and everything that you need to join in. Uh, so if you want to join in, you now have an opportunity to do so. Uh, there's there's nothing that's required of you other than just showing up and having some fun and and talking around a campfire. Well, that's it for the show for this week, my fellow Jeeper. Until next week, be sure to go back and listen for the hidden Easter egg in this episode. And as always, thank you for listening to the world's most downloaded Jeep podcast. This message was brought to you by the Foundation for the Increase of Public Shaming for people who wear masks and gloves in their cars by themselves. And remember, friends don't let friends be stupid. Oh, I
Broadcasting since 2010.